That's a good question. Who but Jesus, who could take away your sin, who could give you his righteousness, ties in perfectly to the message today. Katie sang that in the earlier service, and I told her, it's amazing how God coordinates all this. You'd think somebody's behind it all. <laughs> and he is. She and I didn't commiserate because I didn't know she was singing, but that's amazing. Well, I get to talk about my favorite people today. First of all, the Lord. We're going to get to that, and that'll be the focus. My family's with me. And um, Angela, raise your hand, hon. So my wife is Angela, and Heather, raise your hand, hon. And then Lene, raise your hand. Okay, so Heather's our middle one. We have one married, and she lives up in Pensacola. We came from there yesterday. Uh, Heather's 23, Lene is 12. And so we have three daughters. I live in a girl's dorm. Uh, the Lord knew I need a lot of sweetening in my life, and he gave me these girls. And Angela and I have been married 29 years, and uh, 30 in May, and we will start then our 30th year in evangelism pretty soon. So we have a blessed family, and I'm grateful to have them with me. Last time I was here, I did a par parenting conference, and um, I, I was solo for that one, so it's kind of funny to do a parenting conference when one of the parents was here, but you can go ask her if any of it's true. All right, we are going to go to two places in your Bible today. John chapter 3, so you want to start there. By the way, some of you may be using a pew Bible, and you may say, yeah, I don't even know where to find this. I found the page number for you. Make it easy, all right? 1487, if you want to use that Bible in the pew. Four, I'm assuming these are all the same pew Bibles, right? Okay, 1487. That'd be a good spot to start. We're going to read that text, and then let me give you an Old Testament text. We're going to compare it to Numbers 21. Numbers 21. Pew Bible, that'll be page 248. Numbers 21. So we'll get to both of those in a minute here. Thank you to Pastor for having me. I told him if he gets drowsy, will I ever understand? We did that trip to New Zealand back in 2016, and you know those flights are murder, uh, especially when you're tall and you know, you're not in first class. And so when... 18 hours of flying, and you're like, get me out of this airplane. Some of you know how your kids feel after they're strapped in a car seat for 15 minutes. <laughs> Have you ever been coming home from work or maybe picking the kids up at school from school, and uh, you stopped at a stoplight, and you, your mind's drifting, you're really not engaged very well, and mind's wandering, and all of a sudden, you're, you're jolted to attention hearing, woo, 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 woo. You look up, and whew, blur of blue lights goes around you. And on the back door is that symbol right there. So what just passed you? An ambulance. Have you ever looked at this medical symbol? It's very intriguing. What's right in the middle of that symbol? A snake, a serpent. What's that got to do with medicine? Well, if you went to medical school, and I did not... Uh, you'd be told that's the caduceus. And they would tell you that came from ancient Greek mythology. Actually, it predates Greek mythology by several millennia. We're going to look at it. It comes right out of the Bible. Where do you think the Greeks got it? And it goes back to um, an account that Jesus gave in one of the most important passages in the Bible, John chapter 3. In fact, I'm going to read verses 14 to 16. I'd like you to follow along there. You don't have to stand, but just follow if you would. John beginning in chapter 3, verse 14. Verse 16 is the most familiar verse in all of the New Testament, in all the Bible. But we'll get to that. Let's get some context. John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, Jesus uses analogy here. He says, uh, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Okay, let's go to that reference. That's in Numbers 21. Interesting, I don't know if there's significance to it, but um, John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Numbers is the fourth book of the Old Testament. I don't know that there's significance, but I noticed it as I was uh, doing my study. Verse Four out of chapter 21. Numbers 21, verse 4. Again, it's page 248. If you want to use the Bible in the pew, follow along. Numbers 21, verse 4. They journeyed from Mount Or by way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of the wilderness? I'm sorry, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. For there's no bread, neither is there any water. 
and our soul loatheth this light bread. That would be a reference to manna. They'd been eating it for weeks, and they were sick of it. Uh, verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people. Much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the fiery serp uh, take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole. It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole. It came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Notice, when he beheld the serpent, he lived. I've entitled the message today, Look and Live. Look and Live. You've probably heard a famous hymn by that name, Look and Live. That's where I borrowed the title. It comes right out of the text of Scripture. Look and Live. Now, I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to pull out, by way of illustration, some artificial serpents. That's important to know because, first of all, that's the only kind I would be handling. Also important for me to tell you that because I remember years back, I was preaching at a church in North Carolina, and some people had brought friends that day. You might be a visitor here today. And, and, you know, these people had not been accustomed to going to church. And so they had asked their friends, so, so what's your church like? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, like, what do you do? I said, well, we'll, we'll sing some songs. Um, we'll have some other people sing some songs, play piano special. Uh, we'll, they'll play us a plate, but that's an offering for our people. You know, that's not for you. That's... That's for the church people. Um, and then there'll be a message. They said, oh, is that all? They said, yeah, were you expecting something else? They said, well, what about the, uh, the snakes? They said, what snakes? They said, oh, I don't know. We just heard about some of these North Carolina Baptist churches. They, uh, they handle snakes. Have any of you ever heard of a snake handling church? No. Uh, because of Mark chapter 16 talking about, you know, taking up deadly serpents, drinking poison, they'll by no means hurt you. There are some within certain realms, and uh, I don't know if I ever heard of a Baptist church doing it, but there are some that they, uh, they actually do that. And they said, oh, no, no, we don't do that in our church. Then I preached this message, and I pulled out a serpent. They said, you should have seen our friend's eyes. They were like, he told us there were no snakes. Now, I was very clear to say these are artificial, okay? So that is why I'm telling you that the snakes I'm pulling out are not real, okay? So all of a sudden, there are snakes going among the people. And these are, you know, Dollar Tree snakes, okay? So they're, they're going among the people, and they're biting the people. And I mean, you, you pull back a tent flap, and there are snakes. You open your bag of meal, there are snakes. There. Snakes had overridden the, the community. Okay, what was the point of the snakes? Why did this happen? So let me break this passage down, Numbers 21, into three areas. We're going to start with the poisonous serpents. The poisonous serpents. Let's go back, verse 4. They'd been on their journey, verse 4, from Mount Or, by way of the Red Sea. Uh, the soul of the people was discouraged. In fact, much discouraged, we're told. They were, they were weary. And then they, they do what weary people do. They start grumbling. They start complaining. The people spake against God and against Moses. Okay, now it's, you know, it's one thing to speak against God's man, not a good idea. Ask Kor, Dathan, and Abiram how that turned out. Okay, but then they're speaking against God. That's way worse. And they said, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, is that why Moses brought them out of Egypt? He brought them to deliver them. But they're saying, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. Okay, false accusation. But you know, people that are grumbling and complaining, they're not thinking logically usually. All right, so they're complaining about we're going to die in the wilderness. There's no bread, neither is there any water, and we hate this manna. Our soul loathes this light bread. By the way, God didn't intend for them to eat manna weeks on end. Manna was like meals ready to eat, MREs. Okay, some of you've been in the military. Who wants a steady diet of that, right? Uh, that's just to get you by in a pinch. So manna was was. Um, basically traveling food for, for them to get over the promised land. They could have been in the promised land in a matter of days, week and a half or so, two weeks, whatever. They weren't intended to wander 40 years in the wilderness. That happened because they wouldn't believe God. So it was of their own doing. And they're blaming God for it. I wonder how many times you and I are having trouble and we blame God for it. And it wasn't God's fault. It was our doing. And somehow God gets the short end of the stick. 
So they're griping and complaining, and, and th there's no justice in this. And by the way, God does not exact vengeance, so to speak, here. He's bringing punishment to draw their attention to their unrighteousness. So notice what happens. The, uh, verse 6 says, The Lord sent fiery serpents, poisonous serpents, among the people. They bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Okay, so we're going to start with this. Number one, the poisonous serpents. And notice the death that resulted. The death that resulted. Well, now, why was there death? In Psalm 119, verse 67, David said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. He said, It's good for me that I have been afflicted. I might learn thy statutes. Uh, a lot of times, affliction wakes us up to see, wait a minute, something's wrong. For instance, you know, you have, you have nerve endings and they feel pain. And if you put your hand on a hot stove, nerve endings will send a warning to your brain. Hey, move your hand, you're going to burn it off. Okay, nerve endings are not part of the curse. Okay, they're a warning to you. People would feel pain even before the curse. Okay, pain intensified in childbearing, for instance, after the curse. But there was pain to tell you, hey, well, look out. Okay, you're going to do destruction to your body here. Well, I want to tell you something. Why was there death? Now, death was the result of sin. You might remember when God created man, there was no death originally. As by one man, sin entered the world, death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's Romans 5, 12. Sometimes people say, hey, where'd all these flies come? Who let the flies in the house? Well, you all know this. Flies didn't let themselves in the house, right? Somebody stood there with the screen door open. Mom, what time supper? Can Kimberly come over? Da, da, da. Shut the door. The flies are getting in the house. Okay, flies do not open the door and let themselves in. But as by one man, what happened? Sin entered the world, and then death by sin. See, death came in the world as a result of rebellion against God. God had told Adam and Eve, you can eat freely from all the trees of the garden. We don't focus on that. Think about the plenitude of fruit trees they had. They could have free access to all that. God said, eat to your fill, enjoy it. There's just one no-no. There's one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not to eat of that tree. And the day you eat thereof, he said, thou shalt surely die. Okay? So what happened? They chose independence of God. They didn't believe him. They exercised their will versus God's will. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to what? His own way. The Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53, 6. So they, they did their own thing. And that's where death came. It wasn't like God was sitting up in heaven with a rifle and a scope looking to gun them down the minute they disobeyed. Death was the result of the rejection of God. I use the analogy, you know, if, it's, if it were really bright in here, I said, oh, man, it's kind of bright. Hey, somebody turn on some darkness. You don't turn on darkness. What is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. Okay, so what is death? Death is the absence of life. Interesting, God is light and God is life. Also, God is love. Where does hate come from? It's the absence of love. Interesting, how did death come into the world? Man rejected God. That's where death came about. So these serpents are sent by God as a, hey, it's a wake up. But I want to tell you, you and I, we've got death in our world. There's lots of it. And how did that come about? Man's rejection of God. See, God created a place called hell. Did you know God actually did create it? Matthew 25, 41 says, God prepared hell for the devil and his angels. God did prepare a place called hell. He didn't want man to go to hell. The problem is he told Adam from the beginning, in the day that, you, that thou eatest thereof, the day you eat that fruit, thou shalt surely die. Did Adam and Eve keel over physically when they ate that fruit? No. Physical death would come for them hundreds of years later. They died spiritually. The problem is there's a second death. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I, I was wrestling through what messages am I going to preach this week, and one of the messages I've looked at preaching at some point, whether to you or in the school I'm praying about, is a message called, Do People Really Go to Hell? That's not a topic anybody likes preaching about. But the truth of the matter is, more people go to hell than heaven. Jesus said, many there be which go in there. What? I'm not going to hell. Oh, wait a minute. Let me just speak autobiographically. That means for me. Let me tell you, if I got what I deserve, I'm Rich Tozer, okay? If I got what I deserve when I die, 
I'd be going to hell. And that is why I'm pre- this is not church doctrine. This is not just some homily, folks. What I'm preaching to you about is if Jesus Christ had not saved me, I would be heading to the proper place of punishment that sinners deserve. Well, I'm not that bad. See, the problem is you and I have a very dim view of, of sin and a very high view of self. We also have a very dim view of God and a very lofty view of self. We don't think they're, that we're that bad, and we don't really think God's that good. God is holy, holy, holy. And you cannot sin and get away with it. So death resulted, and I wrote down Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, the Lord hath no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not some sadist. God is not up there wanting to see people suffer. But you see, the physical torment of the serpents was what was uh, was necessary for them to wake up and see, what have we done? We've attacked God. We've rebelled against the only one who gives us good things and who gives us life. So I noticed the death that resulted. I noticed the dilemma had to be recognized. There's death that resulted and dilemma had to be recognized. And notice this. The people knew they were in trouble. If you go back to 21 verse 7, Wherefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Okay, notice that we have sinned. You've got to realize the dilemma. The scripture, and Jesus was clear on this, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let me tell you, until you see yourself a sinner, you will never trust Christ as Savior. Jesus did not come to help nice people get to heaven. He came to save rotten, despicable sinners. That's me. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, we would have no righteousness of our own. One of the reasons I really like Katie's song was she was singing about who but Jesus and his righteousness. He extended to us his righteousness. I love the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He hath made him, God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How do you become righteous? Well, you know, my, my church has a list of rules and standards, and that's how I live my life, and, you know, hopefully I'm better than the other person. No, 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 all our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. Well, you know, I'm a Baptist. <laughs> if being a Baptist could get me to heaven, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? By the way, I'm not laughing at being a Baptist. I am one by choice, okay? I'm a Baptist by conviction, but that's not what saves me. Only Jesus can save a sinner. I grew up Methodist as a kid. If being a Methodist could get me to heaven, or if being a Roman Catholic could get you to heaven, why did Christ have to die on the cross? No, no, Christ died for our sins, and there is no other means by which you can be saved because the wages of sin is what? Death. If Jesus Christ did not die for our sins, then we would die for our own sins. And so the Lord Jesus died for our sins, but notice this, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So think of it this way, if you had a multi-million dollar debt against God, you think, I, I, I could never pay that, I, I, I don't have the means. And what if Jesus came along and paid it all for you? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Well, that would put you at a zero balance. If your debt was paid off, okay, that puts you at zero. Instead of being in the red, you're zero. But he didn't just do that. He not only took your debt on him, He gave you his righteousness. That's like being in the plus column to the multi-millions. I stand before God as if I were Jesus Christ. He sees me justified, just as if I'd never sinned, because he sees me not as the sinner who is guilty, but as the Son of God who gave his life, his grace for me, that through his shed blood I might be presented faultless before his throne. That's the gospel. So the dilemma had to be recognized. I remember my dad explaining the gospel to me. We went to church for the first time. Uh, that pre- uh, we went to church all my life, but we went to a non-Bible believing church. I grew up in a Protestant, uh, as a Methodist church. They didn't believe the Bible, didn't preach the Bible. So I didn't go to a Bible preaching church. You know, it was just a homily, you know, or a sermon every week that was out of a manuscript and. I never heard any sermon, any scripture but the Lord's Prayer. We recited every week, Our Father, which art in heaven. Sounded like a Gregorian chant, you know. Uh, no explanation, we just said it. But there was no scripture. So I, I never had heard the Bible preached until I was 10 years old. We visited a Bible-preaching Baptist church. They had about 1,000 people on a Sunday morning, and we sat about halfway back. And uh, when everybody opened the Bibles, 1,000 people turning pages makes quite a rustling noise. My, my sisters were little kids. They said, Mom, Dad, is it raining? 
what's that noise? They'd never heard the Bible being open like that, right? And uh, my dad hung his head in his hand. He was embarrassed, you know. But he realized, wait a minute. My kids have never heard the Bible. They don't know how to be saved. My dad had been saved through the witness of a, work, a co-worker of his, led him to Christ. My mom had been saved through an old-time Methodist Sunday school teacher that was born again. She led my mom to the Lord. But we weren't hearing what my parents had heard, and my dad thought if they haven't heard it from church, who's going to tell them? So that afternoon, my dad came into my room with a Bible in hand, and he sat down. He had an old Bible that he had been confirmed in the Methodist church, and they gave him this Bible, and he had this old, really crusty leather Bible, and he sat down next to me on my bed, and he said, Richie, I want to talk to you about something. He said, son, have you ever sinned? Man, I don't know what I had done, but somehow my dad had found out. You know, that's where I thought this conversation was going. Have you ever sinned? Uh, yes, sir. Do you know what sin is, Richie? Um, yes, Dad. Can you tell me? Uh, murder, stealing. He said, well, yes, those are sins. But can you think of things that maybe you've done that are wrong? Now I'm sure I'm busted. I don't know what I've done. but I said, well, I've, I've, uh, I've told lies, and I've talked back to you and Mom. I've had fights with my sisters. Uh, I've, I've disobeyed. Um, I've, I've said bad words. I'd even use God's name like a cuss word. You know, I knew all that was bad. But until that moment, I, I'd never recognized it as sin against God before. And now I'm guilty. Well, I'd been guilty. Now I'm recognizing that I'm guilty. And you see, that's what Jesus meant when he said he's not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I'll tell you where my dad went with that. But unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. What does that mean? Change of mind. It's going to result in a change of life. God does the changing. You won't change yourself. God does that. But it starts with a change of mind. And if you don't change your mind about a few things, you'll never be saved. You've got to change your mind about self. You're not good. You're guilty. You've got to change your mind about sin. It's not a joke. It'll land you in hell. You've got to change your mind about the Savior. He didn't come to help you get to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. If you don't change your mind about those things, you'll never put your trust in Him. It's putting your trust in Him that saves you. So the dilemma had to be recognized. So here these people are bitten by these snakes, and you can imagine the swelling in their hands, and, and they're watching family members around them die, and there is, there is urgency in this situation so what do they do here? Well, interesting, back to verse 7. They acknowledge we've sinned. They, they name it. We've spoken against the Lord and against you, Moses. And then they say, pray to the Lord for us. Isn't it interesting? They know the answer is in God. I don't know if any of you follow football. I'm, I'm from Kansas City. I follow the Chiefs avidly, I admit. And um, I was sitting in Brother Frazier's class today. It was really interesting because I've been listening to way too much sports talk lately. And I was listening to Mike Greenberg on ESPN the other day, and I shut my eyes for a minute. I thought, I've heard that voice. Well, it's Brother Frazier. He sounded like Mike Greenberg on ESPN. <laughs> and uh, so I, I follow sports. Well, a couple weeks back, I was watching that Monday night game over the Christmas break when DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills suddenly went down. And, and, uh, and my, I have nephews and nieces who are sitting there watching, and some of them don't even care about football, but for the next couple hours we were watching, I really thought that the young man had died. Cardiac arrest, you know. And It's amazing. The sports world, for the next couple of days, all they talked about was we need to pray for this guy. I thought, I thought we gave up on that. Well, not you and me. It's amazing. What else do you do when you don't know what to do? Oh, yeah, go to God. And it's amazing, some of these guys on sports, there's Dan Orlowski who's on all the time, and, and he offered up a prayer that could have been offered in this church by your teenagers. It was amazing, online, praying. You know, God is really good. He doesn't obligate himself to answer the prayers of sinners. He does obligate himself to answer the prayers of those who are his family, his children. But he often does answer the prayers of those who don't even know him. I think he gave a little testimony of the power of prayer that guy's still alive got sent home from the hospital he's making strides he's recovering and you know the goodness of god leads to repentance romans 2 4 the goodness of god leadeth thee to repentance I, i'm praying that god will use it in the hearts of anybody who's teachable to say why do we pray when things go bad because there is a god who is bigger than any circumstance you and i cannot handle the dilemma had to be recognized so they said pray to the lord for us well, that's the poisonous serpents. But then I want you to see 
the perfect substitute. Pick up in verse 8, the perfect substitute. The Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that's bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now this had to seem bizarre to Moses. Make a what? A serpent. That's what's killing us. Interesting. I, I don't know if there was an argument between Moses or God. I, I don't know. I, I probably wasn't any time for it. And by the way, I doubt this serpent was any real beautiful piece of artistry because the situation's dire. You can imagine Moses forging this thing out of brass as quickly as he can. I'm sure it didn't look like something in an art gallery. But he forged a serpent roughly out of brass, and it was placed upon a pole. And the Lord said, here's the deal. If anybody will look at the serpent, they'll live. Now you might think, what? A snake? That's what's killing them. Why would he put a snake on the... Oh, by the way, do you see the picture here? Caduceus? You look, you'll live. Uh, don't you wish it were that way when you go to the doctor? Just show up tomorrow, take a look at me, you'll be fine. Woo! Be a lot better than getting cut open, right? So, look and live. Why a serpent? Hey, go back to that 2 Corinthians passage I quoted. He made him to be what for us? Sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took literally upon him all of our sins. He became sin for us, and he took all of our sins on him. Everything you've ever done, everything you'll ever do. You know, when he was in the garden and, and struggling, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew he was going to suffer. I, I don't think that was the big holdup. What was the wrestling going on in the garden? I don't know. The thing I've most concluded it was that was he had never suffered severing of fellowship between the Father and him until he became sin for us. Can you imagine, think of the, the, the most reprehensible people you can think of. I typically think of people in government a lot of times. But anyway, there are lots of reprehensible people I can think of. And think about this, every prostitute, every pusher, every dictator, every evil person who ever lived, Jesus took all their sin upon him. Can you imagine the guilty conscience of a person, one person, who realized finally all of the sins he ever committed in the light of a holy God? Magnify that by billions. No wonder on the cross he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He who knew no sin became sin for us. The serpent on the pole pictured the sacrifice that had to be made. You know the principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth? Jesus had to become sin so the justice of God could be poured out on him instead of on us. So it's the perfect substitute. I, I pointed out the, uh, or noticed the simplicity of the remedy. Simplicity. Just make a serpent. Anybody who looks at it will live. It's like the scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You say, well, that, that's too simple. That's too easy. Maybe for you, but it was absolute agony for Jesus Christ. See, the person who receives a gift has no cost involved. He just receives the gift. But the one who purchased the gift, at what, at what price was Christ's sacrifice achieved? Death, agony, blood, separation from the Father. The simplicity of the remedy. But then I want you to see the sufficiency of the remedy. The sufficiency of the remedy. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the what? The righteousness of God in him. It's not our attempts at being good. It's God righteousness given to me when I trust Jesus Christ as Savior. You talk about sufficiency. What could possibly be added to that? What would need to be added to that? It's God's all-sufficient, saving grace, His utter holiness put on my account, not because of anything I've done. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You all know that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So the simplicity of the remedy, the sufficiency of the remedy, and uh, Moses must have been thinking, why, why is he telling us this? Put, make a serpent out of bread. He did it. But that brings me finally to number three, the people's salvation. The people's salvation. So we've seen 
the poisonous serpents, the perfect substitute, but number three, the people's salvation. And look at verse 9 for this. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole, came to pass, if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Okay, simple, look and live. So, so notice the people's salvation. Now, all you got to do is take a look at it, but we got to think about this for a minute. When Moses forged this, where, where do you think they put it? Now, we're not told explicitly. You think, like, if this were the means of people being saved, do you think I would tuck it back here behind the piano and say, okay, like, go find it? No, 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 no. You'd want this to be up where everybody could see it. I mean, if I were, you know, if I were putting this in the auditorium, I'd get a hook and hang it right up here. You figure anybody from any angle, can you all see it pretty much from there? I'd find somewhere like that, right? Do you think they might put it up on a hill in a prominent spot? I, am I reading into the text to believe that? I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that, right? You think that's a fair assumption? God said, whoever looks at it, right? Whoever. Whosoever. Who's that involved? Is that a limited few? That's anybody, right? By the way, how do you think word got out? Think somebody started texting? Was it a mass text? <laughs> think there was an email? Big email dump, right? They didn't have phones. They didn't have email. How'd word get out? Word of mouth. Again, the text doesn't tell us that. But, you know, if I told you, and this is factual, I, I was in Pensacola yesterday, and I came down here, and, of course, you lose an hour time zone change, you know. And um, we left Pensacola at 9, uh, well, 9.45 or something like that, a.m. And we got down here last night at uh, 5.30. If I told you that, you'd say, oh, they drove. You know I didn't ride a bicycle. I wouldn't be here yet, right? Uh, you know I probably didn't fly. Wouldn't have taken that long. Well, <laughs> maybe. Okay. But uh, you, you would be fair to assume that I drove. I don't have to tell you all the details. Okay, like Mary being taken to Jerusalem by Joseph. We don't know she rode a donkey. It's likely, okay? You just, we don't know that for sure. I'm saying this to tell you that when I tell you messengers had to go out, the Bible doesn't say that specifically, but it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Everyone who looks will live. Okay, so imagine Moses is um, summoning messengers like, okay, the means of salvation is forged, but you got to go tell them. So he... Some of these elders of Israel, you know, they're over groups of 50 and 100 and whatever. Send them out. Tell them. Tell everybody. So let's say this first group goes over to the tent here. Listen, guys, we know you've been bitten by snakes. We know you're dying. But look, Moses has been told by God, fashion a snake out of brass, and it, it's out here on the hill. And here's the deal. Just go and look. What if this group of people in this tent say, serpents? We don't want to hear about Snakes? It's what killing us. Grandpa died, and our little infant died. And No, 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 we don't hear about any serpents. He says, please, listen, God says, if you just believe, you'll live. No, 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 no. And what if this family says, forget it. There are so many more to be told, and the messenger must, I can imagine him just weeping as he leaves, thinking they're going to die needlessly. Would it be God's fault if they die? No. But he leaves there, and he goes to the next tent. Listen, folks. Moses has been instructed by God to make a serpent out of brass. It's a really simple remedy, but God said, I'm hearing your prayer. If you just go out up there on the hill, you'll see the serpent, and the minute you look at it, you'll be healed. And maybe there's a discussion. Serpents? Oh, we couldn't even go out there. We're dying. And maybe somebody with some reason says, you know, it's because we didn't believe God in the beginning that we got into this mess. And we asked Moses to pray for us. And if he said the Lord told him, we better listen to it. So maybe they go out. And what happens? They come out of the tent flap, and as soon as they look, what happens? They're healed. Now, that's a great picture of salvation. Let me pull back for a minute about the subject of witnessing. What if nobody ever went and told anybody? I'm admitting to you that I do not know for certain that the word went out by messengers, but how else would it go out? I'm only guessing on that. However, with the good news in the New Testament, I know how it gets out. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. Next verse says, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a what? Preacher. 
that's not just a me. That's not just an ordained minister. That's the town crier. That's the, the servant who says, hear ye, hear ye. That's your job. You're the preacher. How are they going to hear unless you tell them? Yeah, but they won't believe. You've got to tell them. Who knows if they're going to believe or not? But your job is to tell them they can never believe if they're not told. Listen, God wants them saved more than you want them saved. Your job is to tell them. God's job is to save them. But know this, he wants them saved more than you ever did. So the people's salvation. Everybody was provided a way of salvation. But whoever would believe God would be saved. My dad was um, going through the gospel with me there at my house. And he said, Richie, you're a sinner. He said, here's the problem, son. Your sins separate you from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, your iniquities, that's a word for sins, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He said, Richie, where does, where does God live? I said, heaven. So if you die separated from God, where can you not go? Heaven. So if you can't go to heaven because you're separated by your sin, where would you go? I didn't even want to say it. Because I'd only, I'd grown up in a church where they didn't believe it, and I heard people use it as a cuss word. I knew it was a real place. I just, it was too horrible even to think. I, I pointed downward. My dad said, son, that's right. There is a hell. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. If you die separated from God by your sin, you cannot go to heaven. I said, Dad, I don't want to go to hell. He said, son, I don't want you to go there either. But he said, thankfully, God doesn't want you to go there. Do you know what he did to save you? And he took me to John chapter 3. I've never, I had never to that point seen this passage of Scripture. Let's go back to John 3 where we started this whole thing. John chapter 3. Now, I picked up with you in verse 14. Um, I'll just give you a summary. My dad had covered the first portion of the, of the chapter. That's where a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, one of the most religious people of the day, most devout, lived by the letter of the law. They added to the law in hopes of attaining righteousness for themselves. This man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus and says, you've got to be from God. Nobody can do the miracles you're doing except God be with him. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, capital S, is spirit. Marvel not that I said to thee, you must be born again. This is really interesting. In the study of soteriology, soteriology is the doctrine of salvation, okay? In the study of salvation, there are two really critical terms when it comes to salvation. Born again and saved. Two very important terms. Have you heard those terms? They're both in this chapter. Jesus coined the term born again, Okay? And he went on to say, Nicodemus, if you don't get born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. You won't see the kingdom of God. You're, you're not going to go to that kingdom. And he goes on to use the word save. Go on down now to verse 14 where we read earlier. He uses an analogy that Nicodemus would relate to. Just like as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So what came to, to Nicodemus' mind is what I just related to you, that incident in chapter 21 of Numbers. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My dad was going through that with me, and he said, Richie, Jesus is telling this to a very religious man, and he told this man, unless you're born again, unless you're saved, you will not have everlasting life. You will not go to heaven. My dad said, Richie, do you know what Jesus did to pay for your sins? It's like the lights came on. I knew all the facts, but you, you remember playing connected dot when you were a kid and, and you, you're starting the picture and you're like 11, 12, you don't know what the picture is, but you get around to like 45, 46, you're like, oh, it's a rocket ship or it's a bunny rabbit, whatever it is, right? The picture starts to come to light. That's what was happening when my dad said, what did Jesus do to pay for your sins? It's like I'm coming to the end of the dot to dot. He died on the cross. He said, that's right, Richie. With what did he pay for your sins? His blood. 
What happened after that? He died. And then they put him in a tomb. And then he rose again. I knew all the facts. I just didn't know the Lord. Listen, you can know the facts of the gospel and still end up in hell. Being born again comes when you trust Jesus Christ for salvation. And so I knew all the facts. But that day, my dad said, would you like to call on the Lord to save you? I said, yes, dad. I remember I knelt by my bed, tears coming down my face. My dad said, you pray, son, and then I'll pray. Can I, I was 10, okay? I'm 56 now. 46 years ago, can I remember verbatim what I said? No, but I'll give you the gist of it. I remember, because it was the most significant day of my life. I can tell you this. My adrenaline was pumping, and my senses were at a heightened state. I remember vividly this prayer. Dear God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I've done so many bad things. I've lied and talked back to my parents. and I've, I've used bad words. I've even used your name wrongly. God, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a sinner. And I know, I know you, you have to judge sin. I believe Jesus took my place. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe, I believe he rose again. Lord, will you please save me? because of what Jesus did for me. Amen. At that moment, February 12th, a week from this week, tomorrow, a week from today, will be my spiritual birthday. February 12th, 1977, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. The most important day of my life. You know what happened? I just looked and lived. Looked and lived. Let me, let me close with this. The testimony of one of the most famous preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon. You've probably heard of him. And this is how Spurgeon found Christ. This is an excerpt from his writings. Listen to these words. He talked about he had visited one church after another in London. He was trying to find peace. He was trying to come to right terms with God. And he just, he said, I just wasn't hearing it. I, I, I don't know if I, my ears were blind, uh, my ears were deaf to it or my eyes were blind to it. I don't know. Maybe I'd heard it preached, but it had not connected if they were preaching it. These are his own words. I sometimes think that I might have been in darkness and despair till now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no farther, I turned down a street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In the chapel, there might have been a dozen, maybe 15 people. The minister did not come that morning, snowed in, I suppose. A poor man a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. Now, it's well that ministers should be educated, but this man was really unlearned, as we would say. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words correctly, but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. He began, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, it doesn't take a great deal of effort to look. It isn't like lifting your foot or lifting your finger. It just says, look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. A man need not be worth a lot of money to look. Anyone can look. Why, a child can look. But this is what the text says. It says, look unto me. I, he said, many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Some say, well, look to God the Father. Well, no, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some of you say, well, I must wait. The Spirit's working. You've got no business with that right now. Look to Christ. It says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I'm dead and buried. Look to me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look unto me. Look unto me. When he got about that length and managed to spin out 10 minutes or so, he was at the length of his tether. Then he looked at me sitting under the gallery, and I dare say with few people present that day, he knew me to be a stranger, he then said, young man, you look very miserable. <laughs> well, I did, but I'd not been accustomed to having remarks made about my personal appearance from the pulpit before. 
However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you'll always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted as only a gospel preacher can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. And I did look. Then and there, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. At that moment, I saw the sun. I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Oh, that somebody had told me before, trust Christ and you shall be saved. The hymn writer said it this way. I have a message from the Lord. Hallelujah. This message unto you I give. Tis recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Look and live, my brother. Live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. I wonder, have you looked to Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me? You've listened really well. Thank you so much. Father, I pray that you would work in every heart as needed. Some may need salvation. Some may need boldness to speak for you. Some may need conviction. Some may be encouragement. We're varied people. We've got a variety of needs. But you are the remedy to all those needs. Please meet us in our hour of need. And may we glorify you. Our heads bowed. I want to ask you this. How many of you can say, you know, thank God, Rich, there was a day in my life that I looked to Jesus Christ for the salvation of my soul. I, I knew my church wasn't sufficient to save me. My efforts at being good were not sufficient to save me. It had to be Jesus Christ alone. And thank God, I looked to him in faith, and, and yes, he saved me. Would you lift your hand if you know that to be true? I know the Lord is my Savior, and thank God I do. Amen. So many hands. All right. But maybe not everybody. Friend, listen, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You ready to meet God? How can I be ready? I'm, I'm trying. I'm working on it. That's the problem. You'll never complete that project. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You know, I'll ask Pastor and Pastor Rick to help me here, but um, otherwise nobody's looking around. I'm going to ask the preachers to help me because I, here's what I'd ask. Is there anybody here you'd say, would, would you men pray for me? I, I want to be saved. Now, our looking doesn't save you. Joining a Baptist church can't save you. We're not asking to join a church. It is personal faith in Christ that will save you. Is there anybody here you'd say, please pray for me. I want to be saved. I want to receive God's forgiveness. Anybody like that, would you let us know with a raise of hand? I do want this. I want the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. Is there anyone like that? You'd acknowledge the need. I may ask it this way. For some of you, this might be totally new. Is there anybody you'd say, look, I, I don't, this is new to me. I don't know if I'm ready to trust what you've just told me. But I realize I need to give some serious thought to this. I need to think this through, and I will tell you, you have my attention. It's not me. It's God's Word that has your attention. You say, I will say that I am hearing something that is new to me, and I surely will consider it. Would you let me know that? Anybody like that? You say, it's new to me, but I'm hearing you. Now, folks, just remember this. When those messengers went out, they couldn't make people believe what Moses and God had said. But boy, their job was to go and tell. How many of you would say, I know the Lord, but what convicted me in this message was the need that there be no breakdown of communication between God and man, the need for witnesses, the need for me to be a witness. How many of you said, that's what I gleaned from the message today. I needed that. Anybody need that beside me today? You said, I, I heard you. I'm hearing it. So let's ask this. How many of you would say, pray with me that I will actively cooperate with God this week to make the message known to somebody who needs Christ. Would you lift your hand? Pray for me that God will actively energize me, enable me to make him known this week. Okay? And by the way, if you're not raising your hand, I'm not putting a guilt trip on you. But let me ask you this. If you don't do it, who's going to do it? 
You say, but I'm so scared. I'm so inadequate. That's fine. Because his grace is sufficient. The same grace that saves you is the grace that enables you. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me. Would you do so? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's stand together for a brief invitation. You know, I asked you to bow your heads, but tell you what, would you look up at me for just a minute? Let me say something about the invitation. There's a reason I still give old-fashioned, come-down-the-aisle invitations. It's very simply stated in the Scripture, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Yeah, it is humbling to step out, find a spot at the platform or the seats, and bow. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. When God speaks to you about a specific, I'd urge you to respond and bow the knee before him. I think what we'll do is we'll just bow our heads, and I'll have the... Uh, piano play, and, and uh, let me just be able to talk to this. So would you bow your head with me? And I'd invite you to come as she plays this morning. There's something specific God worked in your heart about being a witness, about trusting God even when his ways don't make sense. That was certainly an application that you may have walked out of here with. And you might be saying, Lord, I've been wrestling. Why did you do it this way? Yeah, I'm sure Moses wondered that. Are you willing to trust him? I'll be quiet. I'd urge you to come as God's been speaking to your heart. If you need to be saved, the pastor's right here, front and center. I'd urge you to come and approach the pastor and say, I want to know how to trust Christ. I didn't, I didn't acknowledge it, but I should have. Anybody else need to come? She'll play through another stanza or so before we finish. I won't, uh, I won't push on an invitation because God's not a beggar. He's the king of kings. But I would appeal to you that if God's prompting your heart, it's wise to respond to God. That's where he pours out grace. And if you're not saved, you need to fly to Jesus Christ. You need to come as quickly, as quickly as a New York minute. So I'll tell you what, the Lord is coming soon. Are you ready? It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. He doesn't want to judge you. He wants to save you. Pastor, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, sister. Thank you, Brother Tozier. Uh, nothing I enjoy hearing more than a good, clear, simple presentation of the gospel. Thank you so much. A tremendous job. You'll be back with us tonight at 6 p.m. Please come back and join us. And also on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Please join us if you can for all the services. I'm Brother Tozier standing with you at the back door. You can let him know how much you appreciate his message. And we're so glad you're here today. Please come back tonight at 6 p.m. Brother Self, you come and close this in hymn, please.